part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at a prayer of Paul this morning. Have you ever had those times in your life, in your prayer life, that your mind was just blank? Uh, you went to pray and uh, maybe the hot topics of the day uh, were on your mind and after about two or three minutes of prayer, you, your mind was just kind of blank and empty. And sometimes uh, we even get into those places where we just feel like we're in this methodical ritual of prayer instead of meaningful conversation with God. Well, I think every Christian who has been through those times uh, understands that we just don't feel like we pray well. And from a personal perspective... Uh, I want to encourage you this morning that even sometimes when we feel like we're not praying well, that somehow the words just don't come out or our mind wanders, I know that God just appreciates your desire to be a prayerful person and that you would try to discipline yourself to be a prayerful person. One of the great helps that I have learned over the years, because I have a mind that wanders very quickly, and it's one of those that I can, the minute I close my eyes in prayer, after about the first three or four words, my mind just kind of starts to go all over the place. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is to use the scripture to help guide my prayers. Sometimes it's praying a promise of God. For example, let's say that I've been dealing with guilt or you're dealing with guilt and and Satan is just tormenting us of, of a sin. Maybe we lost our temper, or maybe we acted out in anger, or maybe some other thing, and Satan is just ravaging, uh, ravaging uh, our, our mind and our heart with guilt. I open up the Bible, and I turn to Romans 8.1, and I see a promise there that God says that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know... <laughs> I, I can lose my anger when I ever want to. It doesn't excuse away my sin. But, but all of a sudden, all that guilt, all those lies, all those things that Satan is trying to, to pile upon me go away because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so it's one of the ways that I have learned over the years just to use the Bible, the promises of the Bible, the truths of the Bible to guide me so then it's not just something that I'm hoping for, but I'm claiming what God has already said. Oftentimes we, we see prayers in the Bible and and uh, we begin to look at them and go, man, I wish I could pray like that. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the, the great prayers of the Bible, you know, prayers of, of named people that are famous like Abraham, but also some of those that are not even named, and yet we see a prayer that they have and just the beauty and the simplicity of that heartfelt prayer to their Heavenly Father. Because I believe that, you know, as we try to pray, to, to find other models to help us is perfectly all right with God. In fact, if we look in the Bible, Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, is really uh, the model prayer. He said, you can pray like this. And we can either pray those words directly or we can use that as a model to kind of cover a lot of areas of prayer that he wanted us to pray. Because that was his response when the disciples said, will you teach us to pray? In other words, the disciples themselves said, you know, we don't feel like we really pray all that well. We're not feeling like we have powerful prayers. Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And he responded by teaching them that model prayer. I wonder how many of you have ever Googled 
uh, a video online to help you do something. Maybe it was to fix a broken faucet at the house. Maybe to, at Thanksgiving time to cook the perfect turkey or uh, maybe even to gain some knowledge of how to invest in the stock market or whatever it might be. And, and you Googled that and that video helped you. That example from somebody else doing it right or showing you a model helped you in fixing that faucet or cooking that turkey. But that's the same way that I think that we can look at some of the prayers of the Bible, that we can use those examples. And the one that we're looking at today is one of my favorites. In fact, as we read through this, it may be somewhat familiar to some of you because we used it a couple years ago as a guide to pray for our students as they went back to the school year. It's the prayer that I would often pray for my girls as they were growing up. It is such a solid prayer for children. It's a solid prayer if you want to pray this for your spouse, for friends. It is just a solid prayer. And it's the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. The Philippians had Paul's heart. He, he loved the Philippians. He helped to, to establish the, the church there. And uh, when he heard that they were in trouble and there was some torment and some division there, he wrote to them what we know as the book of or the letter to the Philippians. And he shows his love by starting out that whole letter by saying that he just loves them and that uh, very much he is praying for them. And then in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1, we actually see some of the content of that prayer. Let me read it for us all the way through, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of break it down. Because there's four parts of this prayer where Paul just targets, directs his prayer for the Philippian church. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now again, as we begin to see his prayer for the Philippians, it's a prayer that we can easily use in our own life. Uh, number one, maybe just to pray for ourselves that we would have these qualities and these characteristics in our life. But what a great prayer for people that you want to see spiritual growth in. Because in general, this is a prayer about spiritual growth. It's not so much addressing a problem that somebody had. It's not asking for healing for somebody that was sick. It's Paul's prayer that the Philippian church would grow and mature in their spiritual walk and in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I find that that's just a great prayer that we can pray for our loved ones, again, for our immediate family, for ourselves, for our friends. And so this morning, I want to go through these four things that Paul prayed for that we can pray as a model, as an example, as we pray for our own children, as we pray for our spouse, and as we pray for our friends around us. Let me first give you the four things that he prayed for, and then we'll break them down. These are areas of growth, and so he prayed for a growing love. Number two, a growing knowledge. Number three, a growing purity. And number four, a growing righteousness. This was his prayer for the Philippian church. Let's look at that first one, a growing love. Look at the first part of Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. First thing that Paul prays for, he says, I, I, I pray that you will be more loving. 
And as you know, because we refer to this quite often, uh, the Greeks had several different words for the our word, English word, love. And Paul uses the word agape here. And this is the one that we've seen in the last couple of weeks that uh, Paul was frequent in using. And agape love is God's love for us. It's this unconditional love that is a love of the will rather than just a love based on emotion. A love for somebody even when they're not acting so lovely. Now, don't think that as we go through life that we just naturally love people more. Uh, if you have any age whatsoever, you know that actually just the opposite happens. As we grow older, we actually become a little bit more skeptical, a little bit more tarnished, a little bit more wary of people. And you would think that maybe we would love more and more, but actually with a lot of that childhood innocence in our love kind of goes away and we become very judgmental uh, in the way that we select to love. And so what Paul is praying here is that these people would be more loving, but not just with regular love. This isn't just a love that, okay, I'm going to be more kind to people. Okay, I'm going to try just to get along. No, this is a love, this agape love, this unconditional love, is a sign of spiritual maturity. Why? Because it is not natural within us. Even as Christians, it is not natural in our old self. It is part of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us this kind of love. It's the same kind of love that John talked about in 1 John four eleven. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He wasn't just talking about taking cookies over to your neighbor. He wasn't just talking about being nice and playing well together. What he's talking about is this godly love, this unconditional love, this forgiving love. I mean, when we think about it, can you honestly say that mankind has gotten any better at loving one another with all the advancements of knowledge and technology? There's more information today than ever before. You go back a thousand years, look at all the inventions that have happened, the technology, all the things that have progressed in mankind. And yet I would be challenged to think that love, this kind of love, has actually progressed in the last thousand years. And so knowing that my children, knowing that my wife, knowing that myself, that, that, that this is a difficult area of life, that it's just not natural, but it's something that's going to have to happen supernaturally, what a great prayer that Paul is praying for the Philippian church, that they would love more and more and begin to grasp God's love for them. Because that's kind of the key here. That as they would gasp, really grasp God's love for them, then they're going to have that love to give to other people. And then he goes on. After he talks about, I hope that you love more and more this godly love, a true love, just as the way that God loves you. He says, I, I, I pray that you have a growing knowledge. Again, Philippians 1.9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment. This also has a spiritual basis. This isn't just, you know, attaining more facts. It's much more than just kind of having knowledge of even biblical facts. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek means full knowledge or useful knowledge. We're living in a day and time when there's more information available than any other time in human history. And yet, how much of that information is, number one, useful... And then number two, how much of that is truly based on wisdom? 
The great scholar J.I. Packer said it this way in his classic book, Knowing God. What were we made for to know God? What aim should we set for ourselves in life? Knowledge of God. And what is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. I, I love the writings of Packer, and I love that quote, because he really kind of sums up in that just little paragraph there, in a few sentences, really the aim of our life. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Notice how Paul worded his desire to see the Philippians grow in knowledge. He uses the word discernment. In, in the NIV, I love how it's translated in the NIV version, uh, Philippians 1.9, And this is my prayer, that, you love, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I mean, think about it. Back in 1590, the microscope was invented. And it allowed people to begin to see things that they had never seen before. Now, those things existed before the microscope was invented, but they could never see germs and cells and all the different things. And with that, they became much more knowledgeable and much more wise. All of a sudden, just like we do now, they're going, you know, it's important for us to wash our hands because there's germs. And they couldn't see that before the microscope. Well, that's kind of an illustration of what Paul is praying for the Philippians the prayer that we can pray for our children, for our spouse, and for our friends, that we could pray that they would not just have more knowledge, as important as knowledge is, and especially biblical knowledge, but that they would have information to a maturing use, that is wisdom. Now look in verse 10, and and Paul begins to apply that truth. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, so that you can discern what is best. Discernment is that ability to determine the best choice out of all the options available. And it starts with the simplicity of what is right from wrong. But all of us would know that after you've decided right from wrong, there's also a wisdom of what is then best. What a great prayer of maturity that we could have for God to place in the lives of those people that we Love. I mean, think about this prayer. God, help my son, my daughter, my, my wife, my husband navigate this world with your wisdom and your discernment. Help them to see like through the lens of a microscope the beauty and the riches of your word so that they can have that as a, a guide for their lives. See, this was the consistent prayer of Paul for the ones that he watched over. Um, we see that uh, example in, in Romans, when he wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, 2, he talked about this transformed mind and how that transformed mind, transformed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, would allow us to discern the will of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. That is so much more than just knowing the difference between right and wrong. And and then Paul connects this growth in knowledge, this growth in wisdom, to growth in purity. Look again at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's a prayer for growing in purity. 
Mom and dads, can you think of a more needed prayer for your children in the world that we live in today? I mean, say what you want. I know that evil existed all the way back, Genesis 3, and that this world has been filled with evil and deception and sin and temptation ever since. And yet, there we live in a day and time, and our children and our grandchildren are growing up in a day and time when purity is rare. Paul's praying this you know, 2,000 years ago, and he says, look, I want you to have the wisdom and the discernment so that you can make pure choices, so that your life can be one of purity. He's not talking about just being a goody-goody. He's not just talking about, you know, making wise choices. He's talking about the purity that as we await Christ and his return, that we truly would have this purity of life. And the more and the more that we know the things of God and the wisdom to live in such a way, then we're going to have that purity. I mean, isn't that really kind of the, the heartbeat behind Psalms 119.11? I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, notice what that says. I've stored up your word where? In my mind? No, it says in my heart. In other words, knowledge came into the mind, wisdom came into the mind, but then it settled into the heart. And while the Hebrews, they, they kind of connected the heart and the mind uh, in, in a connection that was inseparable. What we see here is that when we store up the word of God, it comes in through knowledge, it, we discern it as wisdom, and then we store it in our heart. That is that we place value in. Why? So that we may not sin against God. That, that's not, okay, I know more rules than you know, so I'm breaking them less. And uh, No, it's that you store up the value of what God has called us to do. I mean, I know a lot of people that they know the Ten Commandments, they know all the other commandments, and, and they know very much the black and whiteness of do this but don't do that. God, God is really taking this further. Paul is saying, I pray that not only would you have the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment to know the best way, but that it would have this action where we would value that so much that it would bring a purity to our heart. One of my favorite versions uh, or translations of the Bible is the Amplified Version. And oftentimes when I'm reading something, I, I'll kind of get the Amplified out because it just kind of amplifies it. <laughs> and I love what the Amplified Version says here. Now listen closely. So that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. Is that not a great prayer? I mean, I I hope you're praying that for me, that I would surely learn to sense what is vital, what is necessary, what is really important, and approve, and look what it says, and prize what is excellent. Put real value on that so that it's not just I'm, I'm following this list of rules, but that I really desire deep in my heart that I want to live this way. Why? Because I know it's the best way. Now look at the last connection that Paul makes with this prayer. He connects this discernment and this purity with a growing righteousness. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays to the Philippians, um, or for the Philippians, to be so connected to Christ that the fruit of his righteousness 
comes into their life. It's very much what John writes about uh, in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It's kind of that mindset that Paul knew that the more that we would abide in Christ Jesus, the more that we would really see this value of relationship with him, that we would have a a righteousness that is not our own. A, A righteousness that comes because all of a sudden the very Spirit of God is working in our lives. Folks, this is where relationship rules over religion. Religion, you're guided by rules. And that's not what Paul is praying for the Philippians. He's not, okay, go out and find more rules and become obedient to those rules. No, he says this relationship is found in a person. And he identifies that person as Jesus Christ. That's why he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. What a wonderful prayer. And here's my challenge to you, CS family. That you would pray that prayer, perhaps maybe for yourself first. God, will you you make me a, a person? Will you allow me to be growing and maturing in these areas? Growing in my sincere love for one another. And then growing in knowledge, not just so that I can have a lot of head knowledge, but that that knowledge leads me to a a wiser path in life. And that wisdom and that discernment leads me to a place of more purity in my life, my thoughts and just the way that I live. And then ultimately, that more and more of the righteousness of Christ would be flowing through me. And that would be evident What a great prayer for our children. What a great prayer for your spouse. Here's my challenge to you. Pray this prayer this week. And if you have four family members, maybe take a little bit of time just to pray this for them. Not in a rote way. You don't have to pray word for word. But that you would just use this as a guide, as a model, as one of the great prayers of the Bible to help you be targeted in your prayer life. Because I don't know about you, as we said before, that's where I become challenged. That after I kind of go down my list of who's sick and who needs this and who needs that, how do I really pray for other people? And especially, how do I pray for their spiritual maturity? Well, Paul gives us four ways here that we can pray for the spiritual maturity of ourselves and those that we love. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. Father, thank you that in your word you have recorded, Father, some of these amazing prayers. And Father, we read over that and we're going, man, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could have that kind of a targeted prayer when I'm praying for my spouse, when I'm praying for my children or grandchildren. Well, Father, that's exactly why you have recorded this. And Father, that that you have given us your word, that even 2,000 years after Paul would write this letter, that we still can open up the Bible today and we can see that prayer and we can use it as a model, as a way to pray for those that we love and that we care about. So, Father, thank you. And in the coming weeks, as we look at more and more of these prayers, Father, my heart's desire is that not only would we just become, uh, Father, more faithful in our prayer life, but, Father, that we would feel the power of prayer, not because all of a sudden we have found certain words or certain Uh, thoughts, Father, to, to pray in a way that somehow impresses you. But, Father, that we can just pray targeted prayers for our concern for others.
And this prayer for spiritual maturity in our own life and the lives of the ones that we love, Father, help us even this week to be faithful to pray in such a way as we ask all these things in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.